Welcome to the latest edition. Uh, it's good to be back. I'm feeling a little better. Last week I had a bit of a flu, so which is why I couldn't uh, release any entry for you. But today I'm just coming for a little while and I want to speak about wokeism or what is known as the woke. Basically, what is known as the woke today is used in a more of a, so as a form of a definition, it's used as a more of a dismissive kind of a word basically referring to um, what seems to be sort of an extreme social interaction in society, the way in which one group of people, uh, whom in this case might project themselves as a minority, sort of try to overrule um, all social groups uh, through certain ideologies, either it be the LGBT or it'd be the trans narrative and so on and so forth. But just to position something to you, the word, the word woke has actually existed uh, not just as a contemporary term, but, you know, it existed in um, the United States um, a couple of years ago as a phrase that basically challenges uh, black people to remain alert about racial prejudices. Um and I mean, in some places, there might be phrases almost similar to woke, which in South Africa, people would sort of relate to the term clever blacks, even though clever blacks also is used as a dismissive word, meaning basically a word that seems to align a lot with Western ideologies. But in this context, I sort of want to sort of position a way in which I think we need to sort of elevate our level and our standard of thinking in society about the so-called wokeism. If you remember in the debate about whether capitalism is dead and we need a new system, there was sort of a bit of an alluding somewhere of the fact that even capitalist systems today seem to be borrowing from what is known to be uh, socialist slash uh, communist ways of doing things or ways of operating, particularly the use of um, dictatorship, even though... Um, the idea of dictatorship between my two interlocutors then didn't sort of seem um, to be more of a big deal in the way in which it was contested, uh, simply because maybe there's more of nostalgia about um, dictatorship from the communist uh, stance and a little bit of downplaying of certain levels of dictatorship from a capitalist lens, which um, if you'd remember, I made a statement there, particularly about the COVID-19 treatment where um, health workers or any other essential workers who refused to take in the vaccine were actually threatened that they can lose their jobs. And I sort of classify that as part of a mild or a low-key dictatorship, but basically by mild or low-key, not meaning that it has to sort of be overlooked, but to say um, there is an element of dictating to people, and very often it happens through the use of policy. But in the context of today's chat about wokeism, I want to sort of challenge you to think even about the, you know, global politics, the extent to which phrases such as populism were more aligned to left leanings or what some might call the progressives. And for quite a long time, um, that has been a case that has been a narrative to say the progressives sort of use ideas to sort of 
act or appear as though they are appealing to the masses, particularly maybe the poor and the downtrodden. But with time, we actually begin to see what other scholarship coined to be neo-populism, which basically the right-wingers were basically co-opting populism too, um, in the same way that left-wingers were co-opting. And literature on populism will basically point to you that there's both now left and right-wing populism. And this is basically something that I want to sort of take into today's discussion to sort of challenge you to think as to whether in the so-called wokeism, uh, not wokeism from the context of a couple of years to say to black uh, African-American remain alert of any racial prejudices, but wokeism in the context of um, the contemporary through which some might call the extreme uh, part of post-modernity. Um, I want to sort of challenge you to think about that as to whether in the contemporary haven't we sort of reached to a certain extent a level where the so-called conservative or the right-wingers too attempt to sort of dismiss uh, wokeism or the progressive but through similar elements of um, or instruments in the same way, or even perhaps different, but uh, in a way that I would call perhaps shallow, in a sense that sometimes it lacks any kind of um, empirical evidence, um, or it lacks uh, intellectual backing, or whatsoever. Same way as uh, they would say, uh, by they, I mean the progress, the, the the conservatives would say about certain elements of, you know, the woke, the contemporary woke, or certain elements of the progressive to say they make particular claims subverting uh, science um, ideologies that came into existence through the period of modernity. So I want you to sort of uh, think about that as we tap into this kind of an engagement. And this has been a very fascinating thing for me to observe simply because I think we are getting more extreme, whether it be left wing or whether it be right wing. And perhaps to sort of be in the center where in a best intellectual way you can be able to question part of the extreme elements of um, the uh, post-modernity or the contemporary wokeism, but at the same time be able to point out the shallow aspect of the conservatives can actually be maybe the best thing to do. And also to watch that we do not sort of turn works which should be scientific work, but turn it into activism, because I think that is also one other aspect that has um, polarized uh, what we would say is, you know, the higher institution today and has sort of polarized and changed the main aspects of what science, social sciences should do and what they should achieve and how it should influence policy in the most positive way and not in just an activist uh, but deceptive um, kind of a way. So a few things that made me to sort of observe events taking place and happening in the world. And I might sort of make a clear distinction between the United States and South Africa in today's chat, but of which 
I'd say to others who are in other contexts, it'll be great to sort of observe what is happening in your immediate spaces and think carefully about what sort of ideas are dominating in your spaces. So for those who might have been uh, not checking what is happening in the global news, there has been a growing trend of the right-wingers to sort of associate anything that seems to be challenging a certain level of uh, superiority, white superiority, or what some or what some might call white supremacy, to sort of brand that particular thing as woke as as, as a woke idea, and very often this is sort of said in a smuggling kind of a way, where certain things that might not necessarily have anything to do with um, wokeism and does have you know, empirical evidence might actually be just dismissed um, anyhow. So, for instance, if you are to think about particularly the way in which uh, race has played a role in America, particularly in the intake of even high schools uh, or college students, how the race disparities actually uh, was more evident there and also in the context of South Africa, how the race um, elements played a role um, in entry to certain or particular institutions, both from the apartheid dispensation in the earlier years of, no, sorry, from the apartheid regime and the earlier years of the democratic dispensation. Very much of late, all those things are sort of been overthrown and challenged in different uh, parts of the American you know, um, states and also uh, perhaps in some um, context in the, you know, countries, particularly maybe South Africa in this case. For those who might be wondering what exactly I'm talking about, you would know that um, in the wake of, you know, the wokeism, there's been a lot of pushback from the conservatives. And we've seen that in a um, couple of, you know, policies were being overthrown, particularly those on, you know, abortion in the United States, uh, policies which now are sort of being targeted, uh, especially those on gender reassignments, because the trans narratives are considered to be dangerous and so on and so forth. But here's a big case for me that I found very interesting and part of the interesting elements has to do with um, trying to sort of preserve certain um, policies that promotes inequality of races, uh, economic inequality and so on and so forth. It was interesting for me to see in the end of June, that the Supreme Court in America, basically the Supreme Court, which is having a majority of the conservative justices, you know, overthrowing affirmative action in university admissions, declaring that race cannot be a factor uh, to sort of determine who should be making it in space of, you know, institution and basically forcing institutions of higher education to look into new ways to achieve um, diversity. However, this law actually, uh, it existed for probably over 45 years. And now because, you know, people feel unhappy about 
what is happening within the wokeism, they started to sort of uh, challenge certain elements of what is happening, um, even factually, things which I can say data basically prove that there has been uh, inconsistency in terms of the racial intake. But here we go, the Supreme Court in America overthrowing that. If you'd remember also around end of uh, 2021, sort of end of end of June in 2021, the state of Florida overturned critical race theory because um, many of the conservatives believe that critical race theory teaches black kids to see white kids as inherently racist, which I'm of the view that there hasn't been a great, you know, analysis or engagement of critical race theory there. Some are just using straw man arguments to be precise. We can even think of the likes of Ted Cruz in his cross-examining of Judge Ketanji Brown, the way in which he uh, even tried to criticize likes of Ibrahim X. Candy's book and saying the book teaches black kids to think, you know, the book was about anti-racism. The book teaches black kids also to see um, white kids as inherently racist. And this has actually cost even many other scholars, like of um, Robin D'Angelo's text on white fragility and the current text also that she released probably will fall in the same spectrum on nice racism, which speaks on how white progressive can perpetuate racial harm. So they overthrew critical race theory and they said uh, the curriculum basically uh, has a distorted view of history and they don't want their kids to learn that. But surprisingly enough, we see that about a week ago or two, the very same state of Florida passed a new law that teaches that slavery had um, or slavery taught certain skills that black people can use for their own personal benefit. So we're doing away with critical race theory because it teaches bad thing, but we're introducing the idea that slavery was not bad. So think carefully about that, if you can make sense of that. And if you can make sense of that, I'd love to sort of hear from you whether isn't this also another aspect as a reactionary to what it, what one might say it's you know a, a progressive way as a reactionary. Here is another sort of lens of a right wing or conservative wokeism that says we are undoing the injustices which were perpetuated by the progressive, but we're introducing a bill that says, oh, well, um, hold up or hold on in terms of your emotions and in terms of your criticisms to uh, slavery. Slavery was not that bad, you know. But this makes me think also if we can cast a bit of our nets to what is happening in South Africa. The idea of America defending slavery reminds me of, you know, I think it was a 2017 tweet by uh, Helen Zille, who is the chairperson of the Democratic Alliance, which is a political party, the second largest political party in South Africa that actually converted from the National Party, which was in charge of the apartheid regime in South Africa. Helen Ziller kept on tweeting and defending her tweets, basically claiming, and I quote, for those claiming that, for those claiming the legacy of colonialism was only negative, think of our independent uh, judiciary, think of our transport infrastructure, think of our pipe water, etc. And of which this tweet was sort of received with a lot of dismissals and attacks and so on and so forth for people who felt like 
this is nonsensical to appear at the time where the country is still grappling with a lot of socioeconomic inequalities which were perpetuated by the apartheid government and you still find space in your heart and in your mind to try to air the fact that colonization was definitely not that bad, there's sort of certain benefits. But again, not being very cognizant of the fact that the things that Helen Zillow was praising might be beneficial to her and a few minority, but they're still, and by minority, I don't mean just a racial minority, but I mean like just a small population which might be part of the middle class, where else the great aspect of a poor working class might still not uh, be, you know, enjoying the fruits of the very same infrastructures that she's talking about. And also part of her statements there could also be debunked in many different ways. For instance, when she speaks about the the independence of the judiciary. I mean, whether the tweet was a 2017 or not, even up to date, South Africa's judiciary still remains very much criticized for taking political signs in many different ways. The way it, it still deals with the cases of the former president, Jacob Zuma, um, the way in which now the very same judiciary, particularly the Constitutional Court, works to sort of defend the current president, uh, Mr. Cyril Ramaphosa, whom in you know his farm there were billions of US dollars which were found under a mattress, whether it's a mattress or a couch, that doesn't matter, but anywho, he did not declare that, and the judiciary in itself also is found in the mud of trying to sort of protect um, the president. If we are to speak about a transport infrastructure, it's still a big case in South Africa. We're part of the poor working class because of the economic instability. And of which it's sad because she, she just spoke about a transport infrastructure, but not sort of leaning it towards also the economic instabilities. Because I don't I don't see how you would speak about a transport infrastructure, but not lean it to, to the it, it basically shows how she's thinking for just from her space of, you know, privilege. But there has been an ongoing increase of, you know, uh, public transport, you know, fares, either be it bus or a taxi fare. And of which many people who are poor, you know, poor and um, working class would sort of complain about the fact that most of their money just goes into transportation and just accommodation. They don't really get to do even much more in terms of elevating their families, you know, high above the poverty line. If we are to speak about the pipe waters, there's been a whole lot of cases, uh, water challenges in South Africa today, including even electricity challenges and so on and so forth. And also, of late, the very same political party that Helen Zilla is part of um, has actually went on a march and filed court papers, you know, to overthrow the ruling party, African National Congress uh, bill uh, of revised bill of affirmative action, which basically affirmative action tried to address the very same inconsistencies of, you know, different companies not employing certain people of the poor black um, community and using different forms of segregations in that level. But what we see is that the political party still sees affirmative action um, being segregative, being a racist logic. But what I found weird or interesting in this case is that such claims are not made uh, related to any empirical evidence. It's just noise and noise and noise. 
And the leader of the political party, John Stian Hazen, basically said a couple of statements recently, which I tried to make sense of them, but I just found myself getting lost more and more. He said, affirmative action, which basically pushes certain companies to, in, to employ a certain quota of the black population as opposed, instead of overlooking them, but you know, using nepotism or employing only certain people from the white race, he actually said this bill will chase investors. This bill will bring the economy down. It will intensify load shedding. For those who are wondering what load shedding is, it's basically electricity blackouts, which has been a very great deal, challenging also the economic uh, stability of South Africa. Um, and for which I tried to make sense of these statements themselves, because to me, it seems that, you know, in his own thinking that he is promoting non-racialism in South Africa, he is mildly, I think he's mildly presupposing certain things that I would love to sort of hear anyone who's even close to Stian Hazen or whatsoever to respond to me back about this. It To say to have black people entering or being employed in certain sectors, to consider a higher grade number of them, it will bring the economy down, it will chase investors, it will threaten, you know, the economy will bring um, load shedding. It presupposes that she, he is saying investors are racist, one, two, that anything black is a threat to economy, and three, that meritocracy is nothing anywhere close to the black race. And I'd love for someone to engage me through those three points. I cannot make sense of how employing black people has anything to do with creating more blackouts. Unless if you were saying the economic instability itself is challenged by blackouts, so we cannot deal with blackouts the same way as running away investors. But perhaps it's a matter of articulation. It's a matter of my understanding somewhere there. But here's the third thing. Um, which I found interesting. This past weekend, South Africa's third largest political party, led by the so-called controversial Julius Malema, had a 10th year anniversary through which um, Julius uh, sung a song which was trialed and tested in the court of law, in different human rights settings, and he sang a song that says, Kill the Boer, Kill the Farmer which basically is a struggle song that even though it's a struggle song, it remains sort of symbolic in the contemporary South Africa as a song that can be sung to sort of um, challenge any form of white supremacy. And I am yet to be proven wrong that even though the song was sung uh, during the struggle times, even though now it's sung as a form of a symbolic um, song, especially now that it's a symbolic song, I'm yet to have someone pointing to me today through data that the song in itself directly perpetuated white farmers' genocide in the way that too many white South Africans are claiming and in the way that also international observers um, have actually been claiming. So... The reason why I'm saying this is because 
when Julius Malama sang the song, it resurfaced again in the, I think it's yesterday or two days ago, depending on when I'll be releasing this episode. A white American guy tweeted and tagged Elon Musk saying, white South Africa, there's a there's an encouragement of white farmer genocide in South Africa, and this is a problem of wokeism. So this is where I'm coming in in terms of the woke aspect. To say it seems to me that there's been, I mean, as I already said, the song Kill the Bull, Kill the Farmer has been sung even in the 80s. So if we are saying wokeism today as a form of the progressive and the extreme postmodernity uh, should be looked carefully to what extent should one make claims like this without having to check accurately to say kill the boar kill the farmer song is a song that has nothing to do with the extreme postmodernity but it is something that has to do with the South African history and the struggle against apartheid. So what if I put it to you that indeed there is a certain level of laziness and a certain level of, you know, the lack of evidence within the progress, the conservatives, sorry, and the right-wingers to brand anything that seeks to challenge any kind of supremacy and brand it as wokeism in the way to get their food soldiers to also react in an irrational way. Because truth be told, it's not only food soldiers of the progressive who tends to sort of push the progressive ideas in an irrational way. Sometimes, you know, and this has happened that even food soldiers of the right-wingers tend to push, you know, ideas of wokeism. Um, and this is sadly happens in a way that, you know, lacks evidence. Um, we saw all sort of these ideas also of postmodernity being dismissed or linked with communist or socialist ideas without proper reasoning as to in what way does it link. Uh, we've seen movements like Black Lives Matter, movements like the LGBT, the Me Too movements, the anti-vaxxers, and so on and so forth. But those claims of, you know, postmodernity inherently being linked with socialist thinking and now being part of the contemporary wokeism is not sort of being backed up by any evidence. It's not being backed up by any intellectual sound matter. We've seen how even the conservatives can be sneaky likes of uh, matt walsh sneaking in a picture of Custer semenya in his documentary what is a woman basically claiming that Custer semenya is one of the transgender women in cisgendered women sports um something which also there was just a poor presentation so what exactly am i saying to you with this what i'm saying is we need to carefully observe not just only the extreme pro, you know, progressive, but also the extreme um, conservatives or the extreme right-wingers. We need to observe them and be very sure that wokeism in the way that is used in a pejorative way in the contemporary 
it is not just a phrase that can sort of be pushed only to the progressive, but it's a phrase that can also be thought of in terms of the conservatives. Because it might not just be leaning only towards the extreme conservatives, but also towards the laziness and the propagandist conservatives. And rather than believing what your intellectual superheroes say, whether they be in the progressive or they being in the conservatives, I'd rather spend more time reading on the different constructing, contrasting views so that I can better articulate myself while attempting to corroborate what might be closest to the truth. And I hope I'm making sense with this, but I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for choosing the Visions and Tones and chat soon. Cheers.